Hello, Carrie here. Here's a heads up. In this episode, we talk about being anxious, which in 2023 means talking about anxiety. If this is a big issue for you in your life, bear in mind Cooper and Carrie are not trained counsellors. We're not trained. Well, we're not trained. So just wanted you to bear that in mind. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Cooper and Carey Have Words. I'm Barry Cooper, I'm in Florida, and 4,000 miles away in Yeovil, Somerset, is the good James Carey, my good friend. Are you doing okay, James? Why do you call me good? <laughs> Sorry, I've just literally been looking at Mark chapter 10, and ah, I love it we're when doing that, we? a man literally okay. runs up to him, falls on his feet, calls him good teacher. And then Jesus says, good, interesting, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, anyway, uh, not terribly good, but here at least and living in the southwest of England. And we are going to be talking about a potential hot potato that mm. has been previously stored in several cans of worms. Um, and it shouldn't <laughs> sound that difficult because Barry recently preached a sermon on Philippians about the verse which includes the words, do not be anxious about anything. But how mm. you preach that in 2023 compared to how you might have preached it back in 2013 or 2003 seems to be difficult. So, Barry, do you want to say a bit about this sermon you had to give and how you approached it? Oh, man. I mean, it already feels like such a long time ago, but I was preaching on uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always, says Paul. Again, I will say rejoice. Uh, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I memorised that um, when I was walking over to the National Theatre about 20 years ago in, in absolute abject terror, being involved in a show there. Is that what Paul had in mind, do you think? Advice to actors? Well, listen, but in everything... Yeah. by prayer and supplication. I think it's legit if you're anxious about anything. But sometimes you read in the commentaries lines, you know, pithy little lines like, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful in everything. And it just sometimes feels, I, I think that's true so far as it goes. And yet we know from other parts of Paul's writings that he talks about his anxiety for the churches, for example. Mm -hmm. So... It seems to me it's just, it's a fairly sort of complicated, complex dynamic. And you you alluded yourself at the beginning to here we are in 2023, we have to handle things differently. What what did you mean by that? Well, it's all very well to be told that I shouldn't be anxious, but what if I have anxiety? Huh. And therefore, it feels like we're in a slightly different world whereby we have mental conditions which are not fictional necessarily um you know i don't think mm. we're just saying oh it's all it, it's it's all made up it's all nonsense and it's all yeah but but equally when we're not saying that just because you have a diagnosis or a note it doesn't mean that these verses don't apply um yeah. and so i think we we run the risk of yet further alienating and enraging our listeners by implying that genuine feelings of anxiety that people have had and panic attacks and all these kinds of things which are completely real um, are sin because you're not um, 
you're being you're being anxious again you're doing it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um although as you know one might say well just because it's a condition that one has or is predisposed towards it doesn't mean that it's not sin uh, right, right. <laughs> so yeah. um, th that's that's another can opener there, um, being put to good use. Uh, well, but but, but do you see yeah. what I mean in terms of it? it's such a thorny issue? That's why standing up in a pulpit and saying, "God, you know, we worry so much, don't we? If only we wouldn't worry." And the Bible keeps telling us not to worry. And mm. I think the only other comment I would just add, though, is that the Bible keeps telling us, "Do not be anxious, don't worry, and rejoice." Because we are most prone to be anxious and not rejoice. And mm -hmm. so, in a way, it's, it's not as if the Bible doesn't tell us that so that we are never anxious. The Bible is telling us that because we are often, frequently anxious or afraid yes. or lacking in joy. So it's a podcast. Yeah. About theology. Yeah. And the church. Yeah. And culture. Yeah. And there are jingles? Yeah. Why is that? Um. Uh, obviously, the first thing I do when I'm researching a, a sermon or a podcast is I, I ask myself, what would Keanu Reeves say about this? And what Keanu Reeves has said about anxiety is that it's good to listen to your anxiety because it tells you something about <laughs> yourself. I think there is something in that. Anxiety is quite revealing. What yeah. are we anxious about? Yeah. And if you're able in the moment to almost have a word with yourself, have a word with yourself, mate. Have a word with yourself. And say, uh, I tried, mate, but every time I do, I just keep running away from myself. <laughs> when are you going to wake up to yourself? <laughs> yeah. It's good to just go, right, what is it about this situation that is making me anxious? Is it that I think I'm going to make a fool of myself in front of other people, if that's the case, what is that telling me about perhaps the level of importance that I'm placing on the opinions of others? Or, you know, is this something, what else is going on here? Mm. Why am I fearing stuff? Um, so actually, anxiety is quite a good opportunity, I think, to get into the heart of what we really worship. Yeah. I think it can be. Yeah. I'm preaching on idols next week. I'm Jonah chapter two, verse eight. And so again, I've been thinking about anxiety for that reason. So it can actually be quite a useful window into things. I think, are there things, James, that you sort of feel like you routinely get anxious about? Yes, I do. You know, for example, I might get worried about money, but I yeah. don't worry about money. I worry about having to worry about money. And the reason I want money is not so that I'm rich, it's so that I don't have to think about money because I don't find yeah. money terribly interesting. Um, yeah. And actually, it's a, you know, so I spend a lot of my time thinking about anxiety because sitcom characters are all anxious about something. <laughs> they all have an idol. And that's why I've spent quite a lot of time. And in fact, I spent an hour and a half this morning looking at Enneagrams. <laughs> and if you join us on Patreon, you can go right back to possibly our fourth ever episode or something where we talk about Enneagrams. Right. And the reason I think they are quite helpful and interesting, I know they have some non-Christian roots and some people would already be, yeah, you know, if you're still listening, having not already been uh, uh, triggered by stuff that we've said, um, the reason I think they're really good and edgy over the Myers-Briggs stuff for me, so I'm an INFP on the Myers-Briggs thing, 
I don't, I don't know what Enneagram I am. I haven't actually checked recently. But the reason is when you look into these Enneagrams, they tell you what your basic fear is mm. and what okay. your basic desire is, which mm. are obviously linked. But in terms of um, motivating a sitcom character and getting them to do astonishingly stupid, uh, foolish, uh, exposing, humiliating and funny things, the only thing that will get us to do those things are our our are our idols, are our mm. false gods. And um, so I think, you know, wh why do you want money? Because money brings you status, because what you really want is status. You want mm. people to think you're successful. You don't actually want money. You don't even want a nice car, but the nice car tells mm. other people that you're winning. Yeah. Or you might want money so that you can control people. Because actually you're about manipulating people or feeling like other people. Or you want to be, you want money so that you can be generous, so that other people will think that you are kind. Oh, so the other, so the opinion yes. of others. So, so characters rarely wish to amass money. Yes, even for though, the sake of yeah, but it's always, bits of green paper, yeah. Yeah, but it's always, what is that money about? So if yeah, a character yeah. in a sitcom uh, is offered the chance to get £5,000, it's not a very good plot if it's just £5,000 because who cares? Is that a lot? Is that not much? Well, it's quite a lot just to get in one go as a bit of a bonus. Would you go after it? But but what you're going to do is create for them a, well, if he, if, if he does this, um, then he's able to afford this one thing now, yeah. which will mean this other thing. So money enables you to do something yes. and that will demonstrate your real heart's desire because your actual heart's desire probably isn't the avaricious acquisition Scrooge McDuck style of swimming in yes, gold bath coins. tubs of money. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, it's not, I mean, that's a very unusual, you know, the Ebenezer Scrooge thing. It's a very unusual. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That, that's kind of where I am with, he says, narrowly avoiding saying what he's actually genuinely worried about. Cause I'm not, I'm not <laughs> no, entirely sure still. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It is very difficult. I mean, we talk about going down the rabbit hole on the internet. Try going down the rabbit hole of your heart. That is really kind of bottomless, or it feels that way. I suppose it's the, the heart being an endless, you know, factory of idols, as Calvin said. Mm. Um, it's quite hard to get to the bottom of it. I think that, for example, that sort of stereotype of of women, you know, that they there's a sort of a there's a money grubbing quality. I want money from my man. Mm. It's the money that he's got that makes him attractive. It's not really again, it's not really about the money. It's but it seems to me it's about the security. Yeah. It's the feeling of being protected and being sort of in cotton wool, protected from the, the shocks of life, which is what money yeah. can give you. So I yeah, I I totally with you on that. Well, I think that is why, when I was doing Philippians, I think that's why Paul's focus is on prayer. Because the, the first thing that prayer does, of course, is it recalibrates you and reorients you mm. on the Father. So you're, you're, you're seeing there, that's where I take my sense of mm. value, self-worth, you know, my, my sense of, you know, approval or, or comfort or, or whatever it is. Um, it's not coming from money or whatever, or sex or whatever else. It's it's from the Father. So it's interesting that Paul connects 
anxiety or a lack of anxiety with prayer straight away. Yeah. And of course, I think one of the reasons why we have an epidemic of anxiety, um, I, I think it's fair to say that we, we seem to, um, is even in Christian circles, is because we're so bad at prayer. Hmm. I mean, my old pastor always used to say the first meeting to go in the, prayer, in, the, in the church's calendar is the prayer meeting. And it is true, you don't, I don't know about you, but I, I don't see many prayer meetings on church calendars anymore. Hmm. It seems to be like maybe 30, 40 years ago, there was more of it. There aren't many churches who say, let's get together on a Tuesday night for prayer or whatever it is. My experience is that a lot of churches do say that, but the turnout is pretty low. The turnout is very low. They do say and genuinely mean it from the front. If we're not a praying church, we can't expect God to do anything. And that's why Wednesday night is the absolute most important meeting that you should go to and 15 people go. So the the rhetoric is there. Um, Yes. yes. Maybe the words are willing, but the body uh, is weak or the will is weak. And again, that is because I think we don't realise the incredible opportunity we have as children of the Father, the kind of access that you have to Almighty God mm. to talk to him. You know, that famous picture of the the kids, JFK's kids playing under the presidential desk in the Oval um, Room. Mm. It's, it, you know, it's that, that thing of well, literally, you could be a world leader. You're not getting that kind of access to JFK, the president, of the, you know, the leader of the free world. Yeah. And we have that with Almighty God. Um, if we really believe that, I think we'd be all over prayer, wouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's right. And probably a lot less anxious because we know that he's working through everything for yeah. our good and his glory. Because I, I don't really know what the source of anxiety is, because there's an absolute ton of surveys and data. I mean, in our notes here, just one that I found on um, via Unheard, uh, which is a British sort of centre-right online publication, a recent survey of 2,000 people, young people aged between 13 and 18, has revealed um, more than a quarter polled said they feel anxious all or most of the time. That seems like a, a lot, uh, doesn't it? A fifth a fifth of girls said they had received unwanted nude images or videos from a peer. A third of respondents <sighs> said that comparing themselves to others on social media negatively affected their mood. I mean, we, we'll probably right. get into Jonathan Haidt's um, research yeah. on the effects yeah. of, of media and phones and stuff. But there's, but there's an absolute ton of other data, isn't there, about, about all these kinds of things. And it might lead us to think, well, what's going wrong? You know, why can't we be as balanced as we were back in 1986? But then again, in 1986, it's like, well, maybe we were not particularly honest about the fact that life is actually quite hard and that there are many things. I don't know. It's it's hard to work out just because the day, just because the, the, the readings are higher. Is the reality higher or were we starting from a slightly skewed base and all those kinds of things? I don't know. How do you, how yeah. do you parse that? How do you feel yeah. about that? Yeah. Uh, well, there was another article, wasn't there, in, in Unheard about the, the possible over-pathologising and over-diagnosing of mm. anxiety. And that ties in with your opening comment about, you know, do we, do we have anxiety? Is anxiety a sort of like a medical condition that certain people have? Mm. Or is it just a thing that everybody is susceptible from, to from time to time? And the argument in this, this article is that we are, we are, we have over pathologized it. And actually there's been the, the rise of what is known as therapeutic entrepreneurs where they basically say, oh, 
yeah, no, this person, no, it's not, it's not anxiety. It's actually ADHD. This person's got ADHD and, and you can't treat that. I've mm. got to be able to treat that because I've, you know, I'm skilled in this particular area. Right. And then suddenly you've got a whole range of, and again, this is not to say that ADHD isn't, isn't a, isn't a real thing and that it causes real suffering, mm. whatever it is. But it's this idea that there's this ADHD or there's this, this common phrase, oh, this, this person's on the spectrum, yeah. which has always struck me as kind of odd anyway, because the whole thing about a spectrum is that everybody falls on it, right? Because it's a spectrum. <laughs> so everybody's on the spectrum. I yes. Thought. Um, yes. But it, but again, it points towards this idea that, all right, this is a particular medical condition mm -hmm. and therefore it has to go to a medical professional. And I think the way this manifests itself in churches is that pastors increasingly feel if someone says to them, well, I'm struggling with anxiety, I've been diagnosed with ADHD or something like that. Immediately they're thinking, well, I, I can't, I have nothing to say here because I'm not a medical professional. Right. So we need to kind of source, outsource this yeah. to a medical professional to deal with. And that's something which I don't think we did see happening uh, maybe 30, 40 years ago, certainly as much. Mm. Um, they're increasingly, it's, it's like an increasingly narrow, narrow bunch of things which pastors are, quote unquote, um, qualified to talk about yeah. in their parishioners. And I think that is a problem. I do think that's a yeah. problem. Yeah, that professionalization is probably uh, a problem in the sense of, yeah, if a pastor feels that they have nothing to say, that's a really serious um, issue, isn't it? You're young. You're an individual. You enjoy selfies, energy drinks, and you don't take no nonsense from no one. And that's why you love Cooper and Carey have words. Having said all that, maybe it's good to talk about the Jonathan Haidt uh, research because there is, seems to me there is something that has, yeah. seems to have happened. Certainly since, you know, 2013-ish, yeah. particularly, you see these spikes on the graphs of particularly young women, uh, yeah. mental health is just pretty shocking, I think. Yeah, yeah. There was the, um, it was a, it's a slightly eggy documentary. I think it's on Netflix, which is the social dilemma or something oh yeah yeah that's all right and it had yeah. yeah but it had these sort of like sketches in it that felt a bit like christian theater dramatization um, in the sense of they were just like they were obviously trying to make a purpose and that people were saying things that people don't quite say but i get why they're saying it and that sort of thing mm -hmm. and there was this little girl little girl you know she's probably a teenager who was on looking on instagram and posted a picture of herself and someone commented on her ears and then suddenly she became self-conscious about them yeah. and i think Obviously, younger minds are particularly susceptible to this because they think that what they're experiencing now is normal and has been forever. Mm. But it seems to me that we're just not wired for an always-on, constant, rolling media in which we're... Mm. And, and, and although we, you know, rolling news is sort of the Gulf War that started rolling news, wasn't it? The first Gulf mm -hmm. War in, the, in 1990, which was sort of CNN and all that kind of stuff which was obviously very well parodied in the British show, The, the Day, Day Today Day. and all those sorts mm. of things. You know, really pompous news, but it was still news that was out there. And it looked it looked like the, the, the nine o'clock news, but it just lasted all the time. But as, as we've become part of the news and as social media has become the media and as tweets become media stories 
and so and so commented blah 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 they didn't comment that they tweeted it that's not you you've made that sound like a press release and and it's not and this could just be people's reactions as well and all that kind of stuff and suddenly we're all on the news and i don't think yeah. we're i don't think we're suited for that no and it's there's two sorts of anxiety it seems to me there um you know one is the anxiety of being constantly shown awful things happening around the world that you have no control over, mm. but which you are constantly being told, you need to care about this. Yeah. This is really important. You've got to have an opinion on it. You've got to do something about it. Yeah, so yeah. there's that. Yeah. But then there's the other anxiety, which I think is peculiar to social media, which is the one where it is about feeling the pressure to present yourself as a particular kind of person as particularly attractive or particularly successful or whatever it is, or particularly smart. Um, that self, one is a sort of an outward facing thing, which causes anxiety. And the other yeah. is an inward facing thing, which causes great anxiety. The constant um, encouragement and social media to compare yourself to other people. I think that has really killed particularly young women. Isn't it interesting? As you said, present yourself. I was suddenly just thinking that sounds familiar. And I, and I couldn't tell you the chapter and verse, but I'm hearing present yourself to God. Right. And it's interesting that God isn't interested in our pretending. And that yeah. we have a much, much higher impossible standard for presenting ourselves to other people mm. than we do for God. And, uh, yeah. you know, and again, we go back to prayer. If we're constantly presenting ourselves to God and are honest and open to him, you would hope that that would make hmm. these other things rather rather fall away because in a way the only the only opinion that really matters is god's opinion yeah and therefore but and, and we are always being invited to be honest with him and yes you know if if we prayed the the lord's prayer every day um which yeah. hot take conservative evangelicals don't because it doesn't contain penal substitutionary atonement um but if we did pray every day, there, there is an element of self-examination, confession, acceptance that we will be led into temptation and that we need help with that. And there is anxiety about whether God will provide and we need to pray that he would give us each day our daily bread and that we need to keep going back for, uh, back to God for that. Yeah. Um, so again, if we go back to prayer and the contents of those daily prayers that are commended by scripture, especially the Lord's Prayer, there's just a reality to it that is completely lacking from this heavily lacquered uh, veneer that you get over all forms of social media. Yeah. And again, the thing about judging oneself or being encouraged to constantly negatively self-evaluate, it's very interesting if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 where Paul is talking and he says, uh, with, he says, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. And then he says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. <laughs> so it's like, oh, so like, that's remarkable. So, okay. So I get that God is supposed to be the only opinion that I care about, but that is remarkable to say, look, not only if you're on social media, I shouldn't care what other people think of me. Actually, I shouldn't care what I think of me. <laughs> it's not relevant. Yeah. It's not relevant. And I think we get so hung up on that. It's no wonder we're a bag of nerves, really. 
Yeah, and I guess that comes into this sense of potential form of narcissism, which doesn't feel yeah. like narcissism at first. But actually, our friend Thomas Umstad Jr., who we had on last week talking about um, books and novel marketing, I think it was him who was saying that uh, he really had to reframe the way he was promoting himself um, as an author or whatever he was doing. He he basically said, you know, you're thinking, but you're going into a room and everyone's looking at you. Here's the thing. They're not. Mm. They're not thinking about you, especially. And if they're authors, they're thinking about themselves. <laughs> they're not thinking about That's you. Right. So yeah, he was talking to somebody about networking, which is obviously something that lots of people would find very, very difficult. And one of the things is, you know, one might get anxiety because you're worried about what everyone's going to think of you. It's like, well, they're, mm. they're probably more worried about themselves than you. In fact, they might not have even noticed you. And so when you really drill down into that, if you keep thinking, what is everyone thinking of me? What is everyone thinking of me? Yeah. I mean, that's like, then, then they're not they're not thinking of you only you're thinking of you and that's fine you get to you know you get to look after yourself and make sure that you're paying attention but um i think i think that's exactly right yeah it's it's exactly right and then i'd go even a step further and say and this is where i think a lot of modern clinical treatments for things like depression can be counterproductive you shouldn't really even be judging yourself you're not fit to judge yourself you're not fit to evaluate yourself Mm. You know, the things like CBT, whilst I can see I can see where there's there's good in them and things can be. What helpful, is that CBT? Cognitive cognitive, cognitive behavioural therapy. Mm. So the idea there is almost that you're taking a step back from yourself. It's kind of a lot of modern mindfulness stuff, I think, stems mm. from CBT. Um you're taking a step back from yourself and you're saying, All right, what am I what is Barry what does Barry Cooper think about this? Why is Barry Cooper relating to this thing in this particular way? Why is he getting anxious? And then... Why is he speaking about himself in the third person? <laughs> yeah, why is he speaking about himself? Is he Julius Caesar writing about <laughs> successful wars in Gaul? No, I don't think so. Then maybe Barry Cooper should stop talking about himself in the third person. <laughs> How has he managed to front a podcast for six years? <laughs> um, <laughs> that is, I think, potentially counterproductive because... Whilst I understand the possible therapeutic benefit of putting a buffer in there, you're still quite self-focused in doing that. You're, you're, you're saying the way that I think about myself is actually the key thing overall. Hmm. And I think from a Christian perspective, you'd want to say, that's not it. The key thing is, what does God say about you? Who are you in the light of the cross? Who are you as a creature who's been made in God's image? All of that stuff. Uh, If we're constantly focused on our feelings and why I am having these feelings, I do wonder whether that is counterproductive. And that's kind of been my experience, I think, of a lot of counselling. Hello. I am your Cooper and Terry virtual assistant. predestined to assist you. Yeah, why don't you say a bit more about the fact that you have had experience of counselling and, and what what the, what you think they were trying to achieve and on reflection whether that was worth doing or not. Yeah, well sometimes there's a thing of you have to go back and find the source of your trauma Yeah, because if you've got any sort of dysfunction, mental dysfunction, um it's down to some sort of trauma that you've had at some point in the past. Yeah. And therefore the, the, 
the key to unlocking that and getting better is working out what that trauma was. And quite often I've had situations where counsellors, and again, this is not this is not questioning motives or anything like that. These, these are very well-meaning people for the most part. But there is a thing of, well, okay, were you ever, was there any abuse in your family? No. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It was, it was pretty good childhood. All right. Well, maybe, maybe we need to dig a bit deeper into this and think a bit harder about it. And you can end up looking so deeply into yourself, desperately trying to uncover this mysterious source of trauma that may not actually be there. Mm. Because as a Christian, I'm thinking, I know there's been a trauma. It happened in the garden a few thousand years ago, right? Hmm. Genesis 3, we're all living in the light of that. It's messed up our minds. It's messed up our bodies. It's messed up the way we relate to God. It's touched everything. And therefore, I'm not sure it really does to sort of say, well, this is to do with some sort of abuse in your past or somebody once said a bad word to you when you were six or I don't know. It just, and and what that succeeded in doing was making me extremely self, again, self-focused. Mm. All right. What, oh, I must not be, if only I could just get an insight here and find out what it was that happened to me. And of course there are plenty of documented cases of false memories basically being implanted in people. Mm because they're so desperate to come up with a source of trauma that they'll, they, people will say, even when it's not true, yeah, I think I might have been abused by my parents. And it's just dreadful, mm. awful, awful stuff. Yeah, uh, which, um, of course, they might have been. and They might have been. That's, that's not to say it doesn't happen. Of course it does. And that's one thing that I think occasionally... So I listened to... I'm going to talk about Ecclesiastes in a moment, so don't, don't let me forget that. But I listened to a really helpful podcast from Crossway, uh, which was called Answering Common Questions About Mental Illness by David Murray. Um, and it's a really helpful podcast. We'll put a link to it in the show notes and I'll come back to that. But one of the things is if we as Christians just say this is narcissism or this is this or this is that, actually an awful lot of just thinking and asking questions if you really are in a very, very bad mental spot is to think, well, actually maybe – just go back and think what, what's what's been happening in your life recently. Well, there's been this and this and that. It's probably nothing, but then there's this and there's this. And the moment you hear yourself say, talk, explain how a particular work dynamic relationship goes, you just think, oh, that guy was a horrible bully. I've only just realised that this person was a psycho who has completely manipulated me and gaslit me. Huh. That's interesting. Now, that that doesn't make the problems go away, but it's helpful. And so mm-hmm. one needs to be open to the possibility that what you're going through yeah. is not is not actually your fault, necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, you could actually right. be a victim of abuse. But this sort of fishing expedition around the issue of trauma is, is very dangerous. And, and another podcast, which I will put links in the show notes, here are people better informed to discuss this than <laughs> us. I listened to a podcast on the Honestly podcast presented by Barry Weiss, obviously, which is a not not a Christian podcast. And it's sort of, in many ways, sort of a centre-left one, but it's a very honest look at everything, which I found very helpful. The episode's called Humans Are More Resilient Than You Think. And it's an interview with a guy called George Bonanno, uh, who has studied trauma. And who essentially, if we, if one can paraphrase it in in the form of the Princess Bride, which let's face it, if you can't you do should, it, it's probably yeah. not worth knowing about, is yeah. you keep using that word trauma. I don't think it means what you think it means. Mm. 
And his overall thesis as a clinical psychologist at Columbia University, where he heads the Lost Trauma and Emotions Lab, is that the human body and the human spirit is immensely resilient. Mm. And therefore, trauma is not something that is, it's just not helpful. And so some people and say he differentiates between a potentially traumatic incident and what people call a traumatic incident. Oh, he had this trauma. It's like, no, no, it could potentially cause trauma and, and does so. But in 80%, 85% of cases, people have nightmares for a day or two, and they might have nightmares for a week or two, and then they go away. Um, and yeah, and he says he had some he had some near death experiences as a teenager where actually he was in quite significant danger and nearly died, but they're in the past and he's sort of forgotten them. He can't quite remember them, but he does remember mm. remembering them and, and those sorts of things. Yes, and of course we all yes. know about the great men and women who came back from seeing terrible things in World War Two, and what did they do? Not talk about it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which we, of course, would say, well, that, isn't that terrible? They came back and they felt like they couldn't talk about it. Do you know what? Maybe that wasn't such a bad idea. I, I do wonder. I do wonder. It, to me, it sometimes feels like picking a scab when you're endlessly going over mm. these things. It just doesn't. It's supposed to cause healing, but it actually inhibits it because yeah. you just, the more you articulate it, the more you name it, the more you talk about it and share it with people, the more it can kind of trap you. Just taking us back to that Ecclesiastes thing, which I, I mentioned, I think that idea that, no, there must be something. There must yeah. be a cause. There must be a cause. And of course, on TV, there always is. Right. Uh, because otherwise that's not a particularly helpful, uh, that's not a coherent form of storytelling. But in reality, in Ecclesiastes, it's this, this is how things are. And if we're going to start to look for patterns at every turn in how hu human suffering plays out, we yeah. are going to drive ourselves mad. He didn't fall! Inconceivable! You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, and think about Paul, who himself had quite a lot of trauma. Um, you know, he gets converted, becomes a Christian, and then realizes he spent it. She spent several years actively trying to kill Christians. You yeah, know? It's like, and suddenly all these people are sort of treating him with real suspicion. Like, is he the real deal? Because yeah. weren't you like killing us five seconds yeah, yeah. ago? Um, that's quite a lot of trauma to deal with. Yeah. I would have thought, and he's never. He must have been constantly reminded of it yeah. by people as well, Christians yeah. as well as everyone else. And yet, he says in Philippians, forgetting what is behind, yeah. I press on. Yeah. Now, we might say, oh, how convenient. You know, of course he wants to forget it. But I think there is something in that, that because of his, uh, his new identity in Christ, he's no longer defined by these things. Mm. Um, he's given, been given new life. He has the spirit. He is being changed from you know, being transformed from glory into glory. Um, he's being sanctified. And therefore, to I'm not sure the right way to be sanctified is to keep raking back over the coals of our previous sins. Mm. I mean, there's a, there's a there's that famous line, I don't know if it's the Puritans, it's always credited to the Puritans, but, you know, for every one look at uh, one look at self, take nine looks at Jesus. Have I got that right? Something like that. I've not heard that. That's, that's a new one to it's me. A, it's, it's, it's just like, don't, we, we tend to do the reverse. We tend to look at ourselves a lot more than we look at or think about or meditate on Christ. Mm. And I think Paul would say, no, forgetting what is behind. That is what some of you were. You're now this. Yeah. Now that, again, that is not to say 
that there isn't such a thing as, you know, however we define it, post-traumatic stress disorder. Like it, 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 stress does terrible things to people. Like I get that. But the question is, is the best way to treat it by constantly sort of by by naming it and almost defining a person with it, saying that is what they've got. They've got this condition that they're never really going to be free of. I don't I'm not convinced that is the right way to handle it. Yeah. Let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles, then run back round to have a good old look at that sin and work out <laughs> how do we. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we want to we want to know where this sin comes from so that we don't get entangled with it again. Yes. So we but don't want to be fine line. idiots running from thicket to thicket. <laughs> yes. Um, which, in one sense, we do. Isn't it interesting that Paul says, when you are helping a brother out of a sin, take care that you yourself do not become entangled in it. Wow. And he specifically gives that warning. Yeah. So again, I think you're right. I mean, Jane Austen said, you know, remember the past only as its remembrance brings you pleasure. Huh. I think there's something in that. So again, there's plenty of stuff in, this, in Scripture about the importance of remembering. Yeah. You know, Passover, um, the, the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Why do we do those things? Well, partly because we're remembering some amazing yeah. things. Yeah. Um, and actually things which are not terribly flattering about ourselves as well. Yeah, yeah. But that's good because what it's doing, of course, is it's it's catapulting us up then into God's grace. There's a difference between that sort of remembering that causes us to just praise the glory of God's grace and the kind of remembering that just keeps us kind of just stuck in the mud and yeah. wallowing in our own failure and sin. Yeah. And I think... You've just put your finger on something there, and it's—I mean—it's bound to happen eventually. Blimey, I didn't yeah, mean no, to. Yeah. Which is the fact that that you know, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sin from us. Right. God has forgiven us our sin. He has looked at the righteousness of Christ and imputed that to us, and He sees His Son. We are saved by grace through faith. Hallelujah. And the sins are forgotten. Now, to what extent? we are judged by our works on the last day and those sorts of things. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I don't, I'm not sure that every bad thing we've ever done will be dredged up for us one last time. And, you know, there's a certain amount of finger wagging going on. I'm not sure how that works. But the preponderance of scripture is very much your sin has been dealt with. It's gone and God has forgotten it. But we live in an age where as I have often said about social media, when you're posting something on social media, just remember that what you say will be available to the rest of humanity for the rest of human history. Mm. Okay. Even if you delete it, it will be somewhere. We need to end this podcast immediately. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, and that's why we edit this podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we're pretty careful about what we say. And we do, I mean, it would surprise you to learn we do actually prepare, <laughs> but we do really think about it. And frankly, I've been quite worried about this podcast for the last couple of weeks um, yeah. because the, the the potential to say to people, your your mental difficulties are not real or anything like that. Yeah. Please don't hear us say that at all. Yeah. But um, this idea that we're living in a world where social media puts stuff up forever, it'll be thrown in your face. The moment you're appointed to a high office, someone will go through your Twitter feed and mm -hmm. will bring up something from 2014 when you really didn't think anyone was paying any attention and they weren't that, but they are now. Mm -hmm. And it was a thing that interestingly Douglas Murray put his, put into his, uh, one of his latest books about what are 
society lacks. And this is a uh, same-sex attracted secular man, conservative writing. He says, one thing our society cannot do is forgive. Hmm. There is no mechanism for forgiveness. And therefore, if our entire lives are mediated digitally and are on a server somewhere forever, um, Mm. then then no wonder people are anxious. It's the digital book of life. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. What we need is a solar flare. One comment I did want to make, though, is to ask that question. If you could take a pill that immediately would end all of your suffering, would you take it? Hmm. Because I'm not sure I would, actually. And particularly as a, as a believer, there is obviously a rich strain in Christian thought. And Paul, again, you know, talking about the way that we are sanctified, the way that we become more like Christ, yep. is through suffering. He was, after all, a man of sorrows. So if we want to become like him, it seems to me, you know, if we walk the path he walked, goes goes through some pretty rough neighbourhoods, you know, Gethsemane, etc. We can expect there to be some suffering and actually we shouldn't be phobic of it. I think we we can definitely fall off the horse the other side and become masochists and become a mm. bit like Simon Stylites, up a pole, you know, trying to make life hard for ourselves. But we could also do the other thing, which is a lot of modern therapeutic culture, which is all suffering is inherently unhelpful for you and mm. you need to take a pill if you can and just get rid of it. I'm not sure that's good, is it? I 100% agree. I would say, I would go further. I think we are, I think our suffering is a feature and not a bug. Yeah. Um, I think we die with Christ and I think through through that death and resurrection and we get mini deaths and mini resurrections, yeah. um, that yeah. is how we are sanctified and now how we become more like Christ. And therefore, no one has the right to take that from you. Now that butts completely up against our society's expectations, which is why we do have this crisis, which is I'm feeling down and I felt down for a while. Um I'm experiencing suffering and that that doesn't seem right that seems wrong. On one mm. level as you know as people made in God's image who were put into Eden those things are wrong and we do react to them in that way but a Christian understanding would say we we do need to lean into them and use them to grow and they're yeah. exercises in which we should trust. And so yes. those times when financially things are quite hard by the way do join us on patreon um but when (laughs) when financial times are hard that Mm. is for our good so that i learn to pray give us each day our daily bread because because we we don't listen to god in the good times and um yeah we need to be weaned yeah from from the world and if we get rid of all suffering there's a there's a good chance i think we just fall in love with the world we're not meant to but also, meant to rec- but think how you think how you bring up your kids. I mean, yours are slightly younger yeah. uh, than yeah. mine, but you just give them slightly more responsibility, slightly more danger, yeah. knowing yeah. full well that at some point there is going to be hurt and pain and sadness. But they yeah. they need to know that they need to learn it, and you, you've controlled it, you've managed it, hopefully, and there are going to be some tears, and they're now going to learn 
that that thing that they hadn't really thought about is hot and they know not to do it again. And there was no way of explaining it in a way that they would believe you that meant that touching it, they were never going to touch it. They were, hmm. you know, and obviously there are a million and one different versions of that. But I think even secular psych psychological, psychiatric, not the same thing, research has done this. And I, and I read a book a while back that I was lent uh, by someone, uh, by a fellow whose surname is Davis. Uh, where has it gone? There was a book called The Importance of Suffering, The hmm. Value and Meaning of Emotional Discontent, which is a paperback <laughs> that was out in November 2011. Uh, it's 30 quid or for a hunt for a, the hardcover is just a hundred quid. So don't get that. But he's written a couple more recent books that are much more reasonably priced. One of which I have literally just downloaded and bought for, a, um, for not very much uh, on the Kindle. But his entire thesis is, you know, we, we have to understand uh, suffering. The book challenges conventional thinking by arguing that if we understand and manage suffering more holistically, it can facilitate individual and social transformation in powerful and surprising ways. Um, yeah. And therefore, you know, and I think in our hearts, we know this. Yeah, I think we know this. That might be a good place to, to land the plane, do you think? Yes. Uh, speaking of Patreon, why don't you join us on Patreon? And I've got a few thoughts on the sin, the world, the flesh and the devil. Yeah. Thinking particularly about resilience as well and stuff like that. So I've got a few more bits and pieces that I wouldn't mind uh, giving an airing. And so our Patreons and our Cooper and Kerry Plus members will be able to get hold of those. So do, do please consider joining us on Patreon. It's a very happy band. I had a Patreon round for lunch the other day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, she was visiting the UK. She came to my church and we said, hey, come back for lunch. And we had lunch. And then she went off and stayed with another Patreon somewhere else. Oh, that's great. Um, that's and great. so, you know, th there is a bit of a community emerging there. It's not a church. We don't want it to be. But there are conversations happening in really good faith on the Discord chat, uh, which you might want to be part of. And it's quite a useful sounding board for, am I crazy? But dot, dot, dot. And people go, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've thought that too. Here's a book. Here's a podcast. Let's chat about it. So it's just a great place to hang out, isn't it? It's, look, it's like what you wish social media actually was, right, Barry? Yeah, it's, ter it's terrific. It's so refreshing. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Right. Speak to you soon. Lots of love. Bye.